the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. It's an incredible act of love for the Father to send the Son, an extraordinary act of love for Jesus to become a baby, for him to become a person, for him to become a boy, to become a man. It's an extraordinary act of love. And so when we, when we want to know what love is and we know that God is love, we can see this act of, uh, of the incarnation of Christ Jesus becoming man, and we could say that right there is love. That helps us to know and understand and see what love is. And it's an incredible gift that because God did this, we get to become part of the family of God. And so for us to have a right understanding of um, how loving God is through Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus' appearing, I want for us to talk about love and to take a look at the way that 1 Corinthians 13 defines love and talk about how we see love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to have different points. The first point is going to be what love is not. The second point is going to be what love is. And the last point is going to be that, that love came down. So I think it's important as we take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 to kind of address common understandings of what love are and to have our own thinking or feeling perhaps about love um, corrected by what it is that God's word says. Because in, in 1 Corinthians 13, this is a really exhaustive definition of what love is and it helps us to understand what the Bible is talking about when it mentions love. Because the Bible talks about love All over the place, all throughout the Bible, we're told about love. And so we've got to understand, well, what is this that, uh, what is this that the Bible is talking about when it talks about love? Because there's probably an operating understanding that you have about love and that I have about love that might be worked in us by our culture, by, by, uh, by the ways that we kind of operate and live in the world that might not be exactly in line with what it is that God says in his word. And so, If you look up the dictionary definition of love, this helps us to understand, I think, a little bit of what contemporarily people might think uh, about love. So this is Webster's definitions of love. I've got three of them. Just listen to what these are and see if this is a part of what it is the Bible is talking about, if what the Bible is talking about is different from what this is, where there are points of agreement, where there might be discord. So three definitions of love. The first is an intense feeling of deep affection. An intense feeling of deep deep affection. Babies fill their parents with intense feelings of love. That's used in a sentence, right? That's what dictionaries do. 
So is 1 Corinthians 13 talking about an intense feeling of deep affection? Yes or no? And if, if yes, why? If no, why not? The second is this. Love is defined as a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone or a person someone loves in the sentences. It was love at first sight. And the synonyms are to become infatuated with or to give or to lose one's heart to. Is that the kind of thing that the Bible is talking about when it speaks of love? And the third is a score of zero in the game of tennis. Uh, And the, the sentence is love 15. So is that what the Bible is speaking of? That's the easy one. Well, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to talk about what love is not here, right? Because 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about love, it talks a lot about what it is not. It's the love passage of Scripture, you see. The heading is the way of love, if you still have your Bibles open. And it's read at most weddings. Almost every Christian Reform wedding it's read at because it's a part of the form that's been given to us by the Christian Reform Church to use in the performing of weddings. Because it's, it's read at weddings and because, you know, weddings are these moments of, of great emotion, rightly so, and, and of deep affection, rightly so, and of desire, rightly so, uh, I think we can read this passage in that sort of light and we can over-sentimentalize it. But there are very few passages that could be more challenging if they're read at a wedding because it really explodes a lot of contemporary notions of love. Do you see all the things that love is not according to 1 Corinthians 13? Well, it says that love does not envy. Love does not envy. Now, this is a hard one. In our social media world, so much of what we can experience in a day is envy as we take a look at somebody's, you know, as we take a look at Instagram and see all the wonderful things happening to other people and we're like, well, that's not happening to me. So the feeling that you can feel pretty dominantly if you're using that, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, could be envy, right? Like I wish I were experiencing that or at least I wish that they weren't rubbing that in my face, that they were experiencing that and I'm not. Envy is a dominant feeling, and that is not a part of love. Love does not envy. It does not boast. So again, say something good has happened to you, and your tendency is to want to put it on some sort of social media platform to just be like, hey, look at this. That's not love. It's, it's boasting. Love does not boast. Love is not self-seeking. Love is so selfless, you see, that it forgets itself. And one of my favorite examples is from Alexander Proust in his book, One Body. Love is not self-seeking. That's what the scriptures say. It's entirely selfless. So much so that if you talk to a mother or a father that's had to be up all night with their child because they are sick, and if you ask, well, why do you stay up all night with them? The, the response from the parent is not usually, well, because I love my child. It's because, well, because, because that's my son. Because that's my daughter. Love expresses in itself in, in a way that is, is self-forgetful, right? And so when a, a loving parent is up all night with a child, they're like, well, why'd you do that? Because they're my child. The love for them is implied, but it's, it's so self-sacrificial and self-forgetting that all of the attention is on the child. It's so focused on the other that it doesn't draw attention to itself. And so if somebody has ever done something very kind for you and you've asked them, 
well, why, why are you doing this? And they tell you, well, because you're my friend or because you're my wife or because you're my husband. What they're saying is, I love you. That's why I did it. I did it because I love you. But they, they are loving you in such an effective way that they have forgotten the I part of it and all of the attention is on you. Why did you do this for me? Because you're my friend. Because you're the best. Because you're amazing, right? That sort of thing. It's, this is love. It's self-forgetting. Why did you do this for me? Because you're you. That's love right there. Love's not easily angered. This is what love is not. If you're one of those people that has a short fuse, well, that means that in all those places where you're erupting or losing your temper, that's, that's not loving. You're not acting in love. Love does not delight in evil. Now, this is really important. Love is not something that delights in evil. This is important because it's terribly unloving to encourage someone to persist in sinful behavior. The love of God has at times been used to try to deny God's moral qualities. You might hear something like this. Well, I believe in a God of love. And somebody says that and they use it to try to I don't know, abolish judgment day or quench the fires of hell or affirm divine acceptance of any and every lifestyle choice. J.I. Packer, when he talks about this, he says that the contemporary understanding of love is this, that God's love, if real, would itself take the form of unprincipled indulgence of our whims. That like a lot of people, when they talk about the love of God, they mean like, well, if God loves me, he's going to let me do whatever I want. He's going to unprincipally indulge whatever it is that I want. That's not love. Because love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And a common belief is something that might work itself out in this sort of thing, right? I know what they're doing is wrong, but I love them, so I'm not going to confront them about it. I know God might not approve of what they're doing, but I think it makes them happy, and I love them, so I'm not going to interfere. But it's not loving to encourage somebody to remain in sin or to not confront somebody who is remaining in sin. It's the opposite of love to fail to confront when someone close to you is persisting in that which is wrong. Why? Because love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. And this is why gentle confrontation is an expression of great love. And you can see this in parenting. And again, let me tell you a story (laughs) My daughter does not particularly like boundaries. She does not like limits that her parents set. And this is evident many days, but it's the most uh, sort of presently evident to me whenever we are in a parking lot together. Because every time I take her out of a car seat, I, I set her down and I say, now you stay right by your dad. Let me tell you how many times that's happened that she stayed right by her dad. So far, the count is at zero. We're hoping that it might get to one soon. But as soon, usually as I set her down, she takes off. And in the parking lot, this is especially dangerous. And so the response is for me to call to her and say, Elsie, you get back here right now. And she's like, what's wrong? And she walks back with big eyes. And I'm like, what did I just say to you? 
I just, I grabbed her by the shoulders and I talked to her. I like got down to her level, right? This was just this, like Thursday I did this, right? And I held her head and I said, listen, dad is angry at you. (laughs) She looked at me and she said, why? And I said, because I love you so much. And I want to protect you. And I want you to be safe. And it is dangerous for you to run away from me in a parking lot because there are cars that can't see you. And I want you to be safe. And for me to be able to hold you for many, many years because you're my precious little girl. And so I am angry when you run away from me when I tell you not to. I don't know if she got it. But that's what I tell her every time we are in a parking lot, right? And the thing is, it is not a loving thing for me to say, this is a destructive behavior. You know what? You do you, baby girl, whatever you want. I know that you don't really like those limits. I know you don't really like obeying what your dad says when he tells you to stay by him in the parking lot. Just go for it. That would be a terribly unloving thing. Extraordinarily unloving thing. Because that's the sort of behavior that could lead to harm and destruction. And when God says, all right, this behavior is wrong, it is sinful, this, this leads to destruction, it's, it's not a loving thing for us to say, hey, you know, you do you. It's an incredibly loving thing to say, listen, I love you, and this is a destructive thing. I love you, and this is not going to lead to thriving. I love you, and I care about you, and I... You're hurting yourself by doing this. I love you. And so I just need to tell you what it is that God says. Because love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. But love is not just a feeling, right? It doesn't feel good to confront. It doesn't feel good not to boast. It doesn't feel good to try to rejoice with other people and never be envious of them. It doesn't necessarily feel good at the outset to do any of those things, but yet, this is what love is. Or at least love is not all of those things. Love is not simply a feeling. Love is not what I'm feeling at this present moment. When we're told that, uh, that when we're commanded to love by God, when God says, love one another in the scriptures, we're not told to have a certain set of feelings about another person, right? The Bible doesn't command emotions. The Bible commands actions. And so all of that tells us that when we talk about love, we're not talking about a feeling. And sometimes, sometimes music can get it right. And so when Boston says that it's more than a feeling, they're right. That's a theologically helpful song. So feel free to go listen to Boston's More Than a Feeling and be like, this is what the sermon was about, right? More than a feeling. Well, what is love then? Well, it's a... This is what love is. 
First Corinthians 13 goes on. Love is patient. Love, love is not patience, right? But it is patient. Love is kind. It's not kindness, but it is kind, right? So when you see somebody acting with patience, when you see somebody acting with kindness, you see somebody that's acting with love. It delights in the truth. It delights in doing that which God commands. It's that which does not fail. Love does not fail. And this is why it's the greatest of the virtues. That's why we're told that, that three abide, that faith and hope and love abide, but that the greatest of them is love. Love never fails. Love will never stop. One of the amazing things as we consider these incredible virtues, faith and hope and love, is this, is that, is that when our when our selves are redeemed, when Christ returns, when we are joined together in the new heavens and the new earth with our Lord and our Savior and with all of those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith will become sight. Our hope is realized, right? When we see Jesus, we don't need to have faith anymore because we see him. We don't need to hope anymore because our hope is with us. But what will remain? Love will remain. We will continue to love forever and ever and ever. Love's not a feeling. Love is a function of the will. That's why it's commanded. When the Bible says love one another, it's not saying feel this way, it's saying act this way. When the Bible is calling us to love, it's not saying, hey, feel certain ways, it's saying, all right, be patient, be kind. Do not envy, do not boast, do not keep a record of wrongs. That's what the Bible's telling us to do when it tells us to love. Not to feel a certain way. Love is willing the good of another person and acting for the other by by sacrificing yourself, even to the point of death. 1 John 3.16 says, this is what we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And it says, and we should lay down our lives for the brethren. We do that through action. We do this through caring for those who are in need. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Love is a verb. And so if you say to your friend, or to your child, or to your mom, or to your dad, or to your husband, or to your wife, if you're saying, I love you, you're not just saying, I feel positively about you. You're saying, I will put your needs before my own. I will seek your good. I'll lay down my life and my desire and my wants for you. That's what you're saying when you say, I love you. You're saying, I want good for you. I want good as defined by God for you. That's what I want for you. I love you. Now, this isn't, uh, now, let me be clear, right? It's not like, it's not like affection doesn't play a part in all of this. It's not like affection is bad and it's like, now don't try to have affection for your friends or for your parents or for your spouse, right? It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, that the thing that's commanded is, is action. And one of the things that we find is that feelings will follow action. And so if you're not feeling particularly loving towards somebody, we'll start loving them by seeking their good. And you will find that feelings of affection, man, 99 times out of 100 will develop. Because the affection, the feelings, it follows the action. Our actions guide our feelings. And so, so the, the affection that comes between, uh, between those who love each other is something that's beautiful and good, but it's not all that love is, right? 
And if we reduce it to the affection, that's a huge problem. Because sometimes people will say, well, well, you should do this for that person. It's like, well, I don't feel like it. Sometimes people will say, well, we've fallen out of love. And what they mean is, I, I don't feel for this person anymore. You, you, can't, you can't really fall out of love if love is seeking the good of another person. If you've fallen out of it, it means you've stopped seeking their good. And it means that you can start again, and then you, and then you love them again. This is why Augustine can say that the Christian life can be summed up with love God and do whatever you please. This phrase is sometimes co-opted. You know, I have a good feeling towards God, so I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not how it works. But if you put God first, if you seek his kingdom first, if you will the good and the glory of God before all else, then do whatever you want in line with that. That is the Christian life because love is a function of the will. It's an action. It's a complete definition of love. So how do we know love? So having talked about what love is, how do we know it? Well, let me quote to you from 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. God is love. We can know what love is if we know God. 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage that defines love for us. And if you try to read it and put your own name in the passage and see how you stack up, you might be, as I am every time I try this exercise, convicted by that, right? All right, so love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. Okay, try to put your own name in there. You could do this later. I'll do it for you right now and embarrass myself, all right? Derek is patient and kind. Ah, sometimes. Derek does not envy or boast. Ah, Derek's not arrogant or rude. Derek does not insist on his own way. Ugh, this is getting worse and worse. Uh, Derek does not, is not irritable or resentful. Okay, I've got to stop. Try to put, read 1 Corinthians 13 and put the name of Jesus there. And you'll find that it works. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Jesus never fails. And you see, the coming of Jesus to earth is an extraordinary, extraordinary expression of love. It's an astounding expression of the love of God. I mean, he was seeking our good at incredible cost to himself. Think about how amazing the love of the father is in sending his son because he sent his son as a gift. Jesus is the gift of Christmas, right? So he sent his son to his enemies. That's some real Christian love there. Love for enemies, genuinely desiring the good of those who desire your destruction. We, humanity, we had rejected God again and again and again. And God said, you know what? I love you. I desire your good. I give you my son. And I'm guessing, you know, there might be folks that you dislike. There, you might have genuine enemies. There might be people that have genuinely desired your destruction or have harmed you or wronged you, you may have been horribly treated by those who have wanted wrong for you. Could you imagine giving that person your only child? But it's more than that because God is so much greater than we are. It's not, it's not God giving his son to his equal. 
Let me put it in these terms, which hopefully are illuminating. I think hopefully a little safer too. I, if I were to think of an enemy, it would be mosquitoes. Man, I hate those bugs. I'm thankful for the winter months when they are dead. I would say that mosquitoes are my enemy, and I'm pretty sure that they want my harm. They seem to act like that every time that they see me. Now, I can't imagine, I can't imagine having my son somehow become a mosquito, to be mistreated and killed by them because I, I somehow wanted them to become a part of my family. I hope it's clear what I'm trying to do with that illustration. Because God did something akin to that with us, and this is how we see love in Christ Jesus. God gave his son, and Jesus was willing to become a human being, to become a baby, to become a person. God became a person. God became a person so that, so that people could become a part of the family of God, could become children of God. This is amazing love. And this is how we see love in Christ Jesus, who did this extraordinary act of love in the incarnation and in becoming a human being and becoming a person so that we could become a part of the family of God. What amazing love this is. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.